Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have you noticed that people, we don't hear that as much for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just not hearing. We need to get it going here, right? Merry Christmas, right? Come on. Um, are we good? All good so I can launch in. Mike, Kathy, thanks for leading that initiative for us, um, getting through the Bible, uh, just diving in as a church together. This next year is going to be wonderful. And again, talk to us if you have any questions about that. We all month long have been looking at joy. We've been in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 um, this morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. And we're uh, focusing on this question this morning, the joy of knowing Jesus. Right, the joy of knowing Jesus. Chapter 3 is some of the most intimate language, the passion, the depth of Paul's heart about his desire to know Christ and what that looks like. And uh, so I just want to dive in this morning. And, uh, and I've got four things for us that right out of the text of Philippians 3, when it comes to really how the gospel helps produce, how does this journey of knowing Christ really produce joy right inside our life? Um, to get us in there, though, let me just throw this idea out for us to think about. It is possible to believe in God. It is possible to believe Jesus, right, but not know him. Right? It is possible to believe in God, have a belief, but not know God. Uh, you can go to church for years and years. You can go to Bible study, Bible training, everything else, and you can miss God altogether. You can go and learn all about God, right, and miss Him altogether. And I would just add, right, to emphasize what Mike and Kathy just said, the guarantee that Mike gave is an absolute guarantee. If you come to the Word of God, Lord, show me yourself right, is that it's a guarantee God is going to meet you. He says, draw near to me, I'll meet you there. But if we go about this as an intellectual exercise, you can go through it in a whole year, and you know what? You can be changed zero and miss God, unless your heart is one of, I want to know God. Lord, I want to know you, and his promise is he will draw near to you. And his word, right, is the primary avenue where we can uh, use that, right, to draw near to him and understand him. So it's possible to believe and miss God. It's possible to believe God but not know him. And uh, boy, we know in the scripture, those who believed God were the Pharisees, Sadducees, many people like that. And you know what? They were the most joyless people on record in the Bible. Some of the most joyless people, some of the biggest joy killers in life are religious people who believe, but they don't know God. And the truth of that is, look at Jesus it joys all over the place. Wherever he went, the children were running up into his lap, right? The sinners, the outcasts, everybody was running. He was invited. And when he was invited into your home, he would come, right? And he wasn't a joy killer. He elevated the joy. He elevated the depth of the conversation. He elevated what was really important, right? And he got right to the heart of the matter, right, with many there. And uh, so this idea of, of uh, boy, religion, and I'm using the word religion in a negative tone, all right, in the sense of just believing but not knowing God, and just believing or just going through the motions as we're going to see here, going through the law, going just, you know, have our little box, our to-do list, our law as such, but no really heart that desires to know God, right? That is the most joyless place to be. I firmly believe that the most miserable people on the planet are those who say they believe in God, but they don't know God, right? The people who are pursuing religion, 
right? The, the, the system, and when you look around the world, some of the, the worst affliction upon society is those who say they believe in God, but they don't know God, right? They don't know Him. And they inflict on others rules and judgment and all these things, right, that are very destructive, Right? So it's a big check in our, our heart is this, and this is where Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians goes um, deep in the sense of knowing Christ. And he talks about the surpassing worth of knowing him, of knowing Christ Jesus, right? Which is at a whole nother level, right? It really checks us, wow, my belief, boy, is it leading me right into this place of really intimately knowing. And Christianity, folks, is not just about belief. It's about trust. Faith is belief plus, plus trust. It is, yes, believing, but it is also trusting. A trust is a personal relational word of I am knowing. I am trusting in your goodness, God, to uh, be true to your word, and I'm stepping out in faith to follow you. That's faith in action. That is a heart that desires to know God, right? And to, to seek him and to seek his face. And so this um, question we want to look at is, okay, well, how does Jesus, how does knowing him, moving into this relational aspect of, of pursuing and knowing Christ, and, and folks, let me just say, this is at the very base of discipleship. Why this is such a problem in the church, why so many in America come to church, believe, right, say they believe, but are missing joy is because they're, somewhere along the line they stopped pursuing the knowing, stopped pursuing the relational experience, or they weren't a part of discipleship for someone to show them how to do this. Show them the Father's heart. Show them the grace of Jesus. Show them the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit to lead them in this personal journey of relationship rather than just believing, right, some, some knowledge. And, um, Therefore, missing out on joy. I believe much of the church, we're in this place of, of we need to be set free. We need a revival. We need a renewing. We need an awakening. We need a repentance back to, right, the basics, back to understanding the gospel and what God calls us to. And that is knowing him. And, it's in, and, and when that happens, everything else changes. Everything. And it is impossible to, and this is very important, to believe God and to experience joy unless we are knowing God. The only way the fruit of the Spirit is going to be an experience and resonant in our life, love, joy, peace, these things, is if we are in pursuit of knowing God. Just to believe Him. All the, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are all watered down um, where we miss those things. And so if you have your Bibles, let's dive in this morning to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to kind of break it down and kind of give some commentary as I, as I read through um, chapter 3 this morning in the book of Philippians. Paul says this to the church in Philippi, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. And I say that to us this morning. Rejoice. Merry Christmas. Rejoice in the Lord. And have you been rejoicing in Him? And the question asked says, well, what have I been rejoicing in? I need to evaluate my, what have I been rejoicing in? Because let me tell you, if I'm not experiencing joy, I've been rejoicing in things other than the Lord. There's no other way of spinning it. I haven't learned to rejoice in Him. And I can't rejoice in the Lord if I don't what? If I don't know Him. This is where the rubber meets the road. Is that I, it's impossible for me to really rejoice in the Lord if I'm just believing in Him. Or if I'm just going through the church motions. I, I, can't, 
I don't know what it is to rejoice in him. That's an intimate, powerful, as we say around here, is we need to rejoice ourselves. So as a church, we come together and we worship. We're here to rejoice each other in the Lord, to get that joy of the Lord as we rejoice in him back inside our, and this should be what, this, this is where the church should be shining, right? Especially this time um, of the year. So rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. We always need repetition, right? Now he changes course. He says, church, watch out. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the the religious, the Judaizers who were laying religion, laying the law upon upon people. And and, um, and his use of the word dog, in other words, in Judaism, that word is used of Gentiles. Uh, those who are unclean, right? And in most places in the world, dogs are seen as unclean. Not here in America, I know. But, um, but that is, and so Paul spins this thing around and he's, he calls those who are trying to inflict others with the law as evildoers, as, as, as um, mutilators. In other words, um, their, their primary thing was that they are following the jot and tittle of the law and they missed the very heart of the law. Jesus deals with that in the sermon right on the mount. And then he goes and he says this, verse 3, For we, church, are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There's a beautiful definition of what a true Christian is and a true Christian church is, right? Is we understand we are the circumcision. No, circumcision was given to Abraham to set the people of Israel, uh, uh, set them apart, a very physical, powerful symbol, right? A cutting of the flesh to separate them. And what Paul's saying, no, church, we are the real circumcision, those who've been set apart by God by the grace of Jesus. It is now by faith. Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't have to go through circumcision and all the other ceremonial things we see in the Old Testament to be children of God anymore is that Jesus has fulfilled those things. We're under his grace and it is the circumcision of the heart that matters and faith in Jesus. So he says, church, the real circumcision is not some legal uh, formula or some heritage. It is faith, right, in Jesus. And we worship now by the spirit of God. In other words, God has, through Pentecost, unleashed the Holy Spirit. It is through the Spirit of God that we worship. I mean, we glory in Jesus Christ, and we put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, we're aware that we cannot um, be saved nor live this Christian life without the power of the Spirit of God working inside us and bringing that to a confidence. There's no confidence, self-righteousness that he's speaking. The evildoers were the self-righteous ones that we can stack each other up. Oh, I'm doing better than you are. Right? And uh, that's self-righteousness. That's what happens under the law. Most of us could give testimony of being part of churches that were self-righteous, that had this kind of you know, stacking of the, the moral code right? rather than being under grace, right? understanding that we all need the grace. No matter where we've run, no matter where we are, every person, whether it's Hitler or whether it's Mother Teresa, every person needs the grace of God the same. Amen. That's the gospel. Some people have a hard time with that. People have a hard time with that, do not understand grace. They are under the law. And they are susceptible to Judaizers and many others who bring the legal law of religion upon people rather than the freedom of the Spirit of God and the free gift that we have through Jesus, right, for salvation. But now Paul gets a little ornery, I think, and a little, uh, it's kind of, you know, some of his kind of competitiveness or whatever. And he, <laughs> he says, hey, well, if you guys want to show your religious resume, hey, I'm going to take you to task. And Paul throws down his religious resume. And he says, you think you 
have something to boast about? Well, look at my resume. And he goes down this list. For though I myself have reason to, for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks, so hey, any of you Pharisees, any of you religious folks, you think that you have a good rap sheet and you can stand before God and say, look how good I am, look how law-abiding I am, is Paul says, I even that much more. Whoa, look at this. And he goes through a whole list. He says, I even more circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whoa. Now that's pretty heavy. What a resume. Wow. But now he uses his resume, his religious resume. Listen What happens to the wonderful Apostle Paul who's touched by the gospel on the Damascus Road where he met Jesus personally as his Lord. And he says this. Wow, this is awesome. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Because he met Jesus. He met the one, the perfect and holy one, and he realized no matter how great his resume was, it just went to nothing. And in his recounting his testimony says, indeed, verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as lost. Everything. Right? For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Can the church in America say that? Can we say that? That that's the focus of my life. If there's surpassing nothing, nothing. I count nothing as beneficial. I, I, there's nothing greater than the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And he goes on. And he says this. <laughs> he goes, for, the, for his sake I've suffered, I've lost all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul here is getting laser focused in his, he was so overwhelmed by, by the love of Christ, by the grace of Christ, by meeting Jesus personally, that everything else was set aside. He had laser focus for this and, and, and for pursuing more. That's why he could say earlier in chapter one of Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's gain. Hmm. So he goes on, I kind of as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, it's not earned. It's not self-righteousness. It's a free gift now. That's the gospel. That's the revolutionary message in the world. That's the good news that sets Christianity apart from every philosophy, every religion, every path in the world. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's paved the way, his death, burial, resurrection for anyone in the world who's a God-seeker to come and take that by faith. And he goes on, he says, it's the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here he goes, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Wow, just let your heart meditate on verse 10. 
There's the heartbeat of someone that wants to know, not just believe, not just go through the routine, but someone who is driven by a desire to know Christ at all costs and is on a journey, right, of knowing God deeply. I just throw out one thing, this last one, it really struck me, I was looking at this, that he by all means, and there was the goal is that the end that he may attain is the fullness of his salvation to attain the resurrection of the dead is God's accomplished work in our salvation, which is he's going to renew this entire body. He's going to raise this body from the dead and renew and give us a whole eternal body to live with him on this renewed earth to carry out God's eternal plan as his children. I say in the church in America, who, when was the last time you heard someone that was passionate about, Lord, everything I do, I just, I got whatever it takes, I need to attain that goal that God has called me to, the resurrection. That I know all things will be made better. All things will be made new, right, at that point. All right. Verse um, 12. And Paul's getting honest. He says, look, not that I've already obtained this. <laughs> all right, Paul's, well, you know, thank God, right? He, 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 we can relate to him. He hasn't attained this. This is what his heart is set upon. This is what the journey towards knowing God is all about. Not that I have all attendance or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that um, I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, let those who are mature think this way also. In other words, for Paul, it was this all-consuming, the more we know Christ, the best way you know, there, we need to minister to people. There's all kinds of things that are helpful for us to get set free from things that hold us back. But the reality for Paul understood that whatever we do, the, the thing that is truly going to set us free is the more we set our eyes on Christ. And the forward motion, the forward trajectory, someone who comes to faith, the Holy Spirit is always moving us, transforming us, forward trajectory, not backwards. Most of us are held back. We're, we can be held back from things in the past. Hurts, wounds, you just go down the list of things. The enemy wants to make that our destiny, keep our eyes set behind. When the gospel comes, the Holy Spirit moves to give us a forward trajectory. Paul understood that. That's why he said, I strive, I look forward. He had plenty of things in his life to hold him back. A murderer of God's people. How about that one? He had many people just missing it many ways. He understood the power of the gospel, which was to focus forward, right, towards the prize, keep his eyes set on God, keep his eyes set on God's hope. He's going to, no matter what I'm dealing with here, he's going to make this body all new one day, right, when he comes. Verse 17, brothers and sisters, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, we're to be encouraging each other and those who are more mature, as he speaks about here, are to disciple the others and lead them and give them an example. We're to look at each other, not to judge, but to be encouraged and those who are more mature down the line, who know Christ more, have walked more with him, should be discipling others and leading them to Jesus. Right? That should be what's happening among the brotherhood and sisterhood of the family of God. And this is what he's saying in verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. He's talking about people in, even in the church here. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They bring division in. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they have glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Another joy killer. 
greatest joy killer is what he's already talked about, the Judaizers, the religious type. They want to just keep us focused on the, the to-dos and the law and the burden of that rather than on Jesus who has saved us and empowers us to walk in holiness is that um, the joy killers are the ones that want to keep us on the, our, our uh, uh, ability to be self-righteous as such. And then he's talking about these other joy killers are the ones in the world, the ones in the world that are concerned about consuming the world, buying the lie, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, the lie that we're all hit with, that we can create joy, that the world can give us joy, that some pursuit of things out there can give us joy of some kind. And... Um, and they draw us into that. It says they even exalt in their own, they glory in their own shame. That is what's going on. That's the state of our country right now, is a glorying in our shame, right? And it is one that is consumed with the things of the earth. And those things have impacted the church and infected. And this is what Paul, with tears, is pleading with the church. Please, set your joy on Christ. Watch out for the joy killers, whether the religious people or whether it's the people who are the opposite. The people who are saying, find your joy in the things of the world. And both are tugging always at the church. And both are always tugging at the hearts of those who want to know right, Christ um, himself. And folks, those lies go all the way back to the garden. Nothing new. What had happened? The enemy comes to Adam and Eve and says, man, don't, God's holding out on you. Do you did God really say that in there? Did God really say, did he really say this? In other words, come on, you need to go do this. You need to go after the, you need to serve yourself. You need to go the way of the world. That's where you will find joy and, and the fullness of life and everything. So there's nothing new under the sun, folks. Every single sin, every single thing that we are tempted with goes all the way back to the garden. It's this lie that I'm going to find fulfillment. I'm going to find joy in the things of the world outside of God's word and his design, right? And folks, we need a, we need a full-on revival. We need a full-on repentance in the church in America today to restore us back to the Word of God. Jesus is Lord. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we submit to. He's where we find joy and stop playing games with the Word of God. Stop playing games with trying to have one foot in the world and try to find joy out there and also in His church is we will completely halt our ability to know God if that's the case. And um, he reads on. Let me finish this up. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Boy, in this season we've been, and we should just be camping out here. And it's from our citizenship being in heaven that we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to submit all things to himself. He's going to do it. Do you realize that? He's going to do everything he's promised in the world. He's going, in the end, he's going to completely transform your life into something you can't even imagine right now. It's so glorious. It will be like his. And that's, again, where Paul had his mind set on that. And everything he did was to work right towards that purpose um, in, uh, in his life. And so, and it was all for joy. It was all for joy. Remember, Jesus himself, he, what? He submitted to the cross, right? Himself for the what? The joy set before him. And the joy was to be restored with the Father in heaven again, but also to bring a whole family of others that he could share his joy with, right? So um, real quickly here, 
I'm going to give us um, four things, and some, these are big theological words, but they're very important if we're going to understand the journey of joy, the journey of knowing Jesus. Now, you can get, and I've had seasons in my life where I get caught up in the theology of these words, and this is where I can just believe it. I can get all intellectual about it, and that can sidetrack me from actually pursuing a living, intimate, relational time with God. So it's so critical as we do our theology, which is necessary, is that at the same time, we'd make sure that our theology is not leading us away from a personal journey, right, with, with Jesus and with God. And so um, four big words on this journey of joy. Now, I just want you to pay attention to something. As we go through these four words, and they're all right out of this chapter, is that they build in steam towards greater fulfillment of joy. Okay? As we move through these four things, right, is that they increase the amount of joy we experience in this life. Okay? And these four words that we're moving through, you can actually see them as um, the journey that Jesus took with the disciples. It's a discipleship journey. It's a spiritual growth journey. And again, that growth should bring about the fruit of the Spirit, should increase right, joy in our lives. The first one, because we're not even going to get in the game of knowing God if we get this one wrong. And it's justification. That means to basically be made right with God. The religious leaders said that you had to go do all these other things. You had to be circumcised. You had to do all these things. Jesus came, he fulfilled all that. He filled it completely. Though the, law, the laws that are binding upon us are the laws that are moral laws because they're tied to the very character of God. They're timeless. The ceremonial and civil laws that we see in the Old Testament, those were completely fulfilled by Jesus. We're set free from all of that. And right, the idea of justification is this idea of how do I become righteous? How can I stand me a sinner in the presence of a holy God? How's that going to work? As you go back to the Old Testament, it's important to understand there that that's why people, it says even if they touch the mountain, they would die. Is, is God is a consuming fire. His holiness is pure. He cannot entertain in his presence darkness or sin. It's immediately judged. Again, just a little side note, people say, hey, well, if God's such a loving God, why doesn't he come down here and make everything right? There's a very simple, clear answer to that question, folks. It's out of his grace and his love he doesn't come, and he hasn't come yet, because when God in his fullness comes, guess what? There's immediate judgment. Any sin, micron of sin, is immediately judged. And anything outside of the grace of God, covered by his grace, his mercy in the gospel, is judged and separated from him forever. Right? And so it's, it, the scripture says he's patient in his coming because he wants all to come to the knowledge, intimate knowing of the son who he sent to this world on a rescue mission. Right. And so this idea of justification, how does it grow joy? It is the only way, this is salvation, is that we can only enter in, start a relationship with God by God himself doing, doing it for us. And the father sent his son after us right, to save us and to run after us. And, uh, and so it's all reversed. And this is what Paul talks about in verse 9. He's overwhelmed by a right, his whole life he'd been on pursuit of trying to be righteous before God by his religion and his works. And when he was met on the Damascus Road and for his first few years, he's, he's absolutely, in, in the whole book of Romans, dives deep into this, is he's overwhelmed that God is giving him, imputing to us the righteousness of Christ. We don't work for it. Matter of fact, you can't work for it. That's the point. It's a free gift of God to anyone who receives it. You have to receive it by faith. And faith is not just believing, it's trusting. It's intimate, personal, yes, Jesus. 
I want you to be the Savior of my life, the Lord of my life. I receive that salvation. I receive that righteousness that is yours, not mine. As the scripture tells us, so that no one can stand before God and boast. It's by the grace of God. How does that increase joy? Because, folks, the deepest questions of my heart, the deepest trauma that anybody deals with are the heart questions of, am I loved? Am I sufficient? Is anybody going to affirm me? Does anybody have a plan for me? Is there a God out there who even cares for me? Does anybody care for me? All of that, our deepest heart questions are solved, answered in this idea of God's justification of his sending his son to cover you, to redeem you, to call you, to adopt you, right? To bring you into his kingdom and make you a child of God, not based on, on anything. It's the prodigal uh, son's story is that we can run. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how darkness you've been in is God's arms are open to you. And every one of us, as I said earlier, whether it be Hitler or Mother Teresa, everybody needs the grace of God the same to be saved. And nothing excludes somebody. Look at the thief on the cross. Nothing excludes anybody. And folks, the joy that comes from the security of knowing that you are right before God, blameless before God, not based upon your spiritual performance, but based upon the grace of God. Wow. We have to apply that truth. We've got to live under that truth. Nothing creates joy. Like when the soul is freed up to be at peace with God. And there's only one who's come to bring us peace to God, and that's Jesus. To give us the peace of God, right? And to set us in relationship. Now we're a child of God. Now we're redeemed. And now we, we, we take hold of this truth, and we got to go to the next stage, which is sanctification. Big word. But sanctification is now my responsibility because God wants a relationship, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's brought us in. He's saved us. He's showered us with his grace. And now he wants to partner with us and he wants to transform this body. And so it's up to us now to obey, in other words, to pursue, to draw near to God, to learn how to take the power of the Spirit of God. This is where Paul says, man, I, I want to know the power of the resurrection. In other words, he wants to know the power of God to transform his life. And, if, and it, here's the reality. How does this bring joy? It brings joy because in, in we could go, hopefully we could go through testimonies all morning long here of, of you, of each of us understanding the gospel and seeing the power of the Holy Spirit transform something of our darkness in the past and to see that we're a different person. One of the first things that changes in a person's life when they are converted is their language. I'm here to just tell you, watch it right now. I don't have time to break it down. But when the Spirit of God saves somebody, one of the first things that changes is they might have had a foul mouth before. Guess what? Their, their language starts changing because the Holy Spirit is convicting that. And what happens is may, that language might just pop out in times of anger or anything. But what happens is there's a conviction. Language starts changing. And we start, Lord, because we're convicted and, and we ask God to come help us. Give us a new language. Bring the peace of God. And then that expands out. And folks, there is joy when we can give testimony to say, God is transforming me. He's, he's, he's making me more merciful. He's making me more, more loving. He's making me more forgiving. He is, right? If we don't have testimony in our lives of the power of God, of sanctification, being, and sanctification means just becoming holy. God says he's holy. He wants us to be holy. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to be on that journey. And that is aligning our life with the word of God and each other through disciples, encouraging each other to be more like Christ. We can't do it on our own. We can fall back into the ways of religion and the little checklist. 
That is not the way of sanctification. Romans makes clear. It's by the Spirit of God. It's intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit that we reach uh, and grow and see the Spirit of God transform us. It brings radical joy when we can give testimony and we look back and go, wow, Lord, you set me free. You set me free from that addiction. Right? You set me free from that, that, that depression. You set me free from that wrong thinking. You set me, right? And Paul, this is why Paul says he's looking for, because you know what? Paul allow, had allowed the gospel to set him free from all of his wounds and his guilt and all the things, right, of his past. That brings joy. Because God, we know, and remember then last week in the chapter, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, right? To bring about. Right, his good deeds. And um, so it brings great joy when we're on this pursuit of holiness. And that increases joy even more. Then we're saved by his grace, justification, knowing who we are as a child of God, is that brings joy. That's the beginning of joy. And then when we start to see, wow, God's at work in me. My, my, what I think about is changing. My idea of God is changing. Joy rises even more. And then we go to this next stage. And folks, maybe you've never heard of this. Manifestation. And um, this is to be a part of the Christian's life. This is exact. Paul, he says, look, he didn't want to preach the word of God. He didn't want to minister the, anyway outside of seeing a manifestation of the Spirit come upon God's people. And there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power to see God among us working, right? And so manifestation is, is all in the scripture everywhere. Some of those beautiful passages use this word. One would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and Paul says this to the church, to each one of you, God has given a manifestation of the Spirit. To each one of you. Use it. Because you know what? Joy blows up when we allow, we start ministering with Jesus and we start pursuing and coming into the gifts he has for us by the Holy Spirit. Joy wells up because now we're in partnership with him and we see, I mean, is there joy when you pray for someone and they're healed? What does that do? Right? When you minister to someone, when you encourage someone, you have a word for someone and they just start weeping, they needed to hear that. Joy is multiplied. Chapter 8 of Acts, we can see this all over the place, but after Philip went into Samaria and ministered the word of God and the deeds of God, the power of the Spirit, it said that the people saw the miracles, they saw people's lives changed, they saw people set free, and it ends that section by saying, and great joy was in that city. The whole city was full of joy, and what a prayer for our city. You know, we, people talk about, and this is just happiness here, Boy, what, a, what if a revival, what if Aspen just blew up with joy? Because everywhere you went, on the ski slopes, in town, at dinner, people were praying for people, people were being set free, people were coming to know God, people were just, wouldn't it be nice if they just started talking about God, right? Let's start there, right? And started seeing and being convicted that, man, the people who have all the best of the world at their, at their disposal here, that that stuff doesn't bring me joy. It makes me happy. But, but I need joy, I, so I need God, right? And start to, to pursue that. So it's interesting um, that uh, when God sent his son and Jesus came to this earth, it was a huge surprise to the religious elite. And because um, and, Jesus blew everything out of the world. He blew the, their, their night system of law and the way orderly worship should happen and the way things should be done and he was just blowing up everything, right? And he just and he would take the law and he'd go deeper to the heart. In other words, hey, yes, it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, but you know what? If you hate your brother, you've committed, whoa, 
because he was fleshing out the Pharisees. Look, it's not just about obeying law. What God cares about is what is in your heart? What is your motive? Right? Yes, do not commit adultery. But he goes, Jesus goes, hey, man, if you even look at a woman, less you've committed adultery. Whoa. He just threw all the, with the Sermon on the Mount, do you realize that he, it was like a shot across the bow, is that he immediately eliminated the righteousness of the self-righteous. Though they, though they stood there as obeying the law, immediately with his words, he, he obliterated them. Now you know a little bit why they hated him, because he messed up their system. Everywhere he went, he messed up the system. He setting people free. Sinners and outcasts were gathering and, and, and miracles were happening and people were being set, demonized, radical people that were set aside, chained up, were being set free. It was like, right? It was disorderly. And, and, and the people, the religious people rejected that, the coming of the kingdom of God. Now here's what's important. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, same thing happened. It was the religious people who rejected the move of God, the kingdom of God ushering in because it blew up their little, right, control the way things ought to happen. Because when God moves, when God comes in revival, the presence of God comes, folks, it is not neat, it's not tidy, it's not within, quote, the, 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 our religious order. It's not within these bounds, right? It's God. And he can come however he wants, to do whatever he wants. And remember the religious people at Pentecost, they sit back and they go, mm, no, no, no. Those people are drunk with wine. They're not drunk with the, the Holy Spirit. They're not drunk with the presence of God. They're drunk with wine. See, that spirit of religion, it's, it still exists today in the church, whether it's, uh, and it can get a hold of us if we're, if we're not careful. And joy comes when we're just like a child where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There should be freedom in the church. And there should be this growing expectation that as we pursue God and knowing him, that he promises he will be with us and he will manifest right, his presence among us. And uh, just to tag um, back on, 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 on uh, um, Laurentia, I'll get it right, but on her beautiful prayer. Some, I'm just going to throw this out. Some, when they heard her pray and then she moved into, some probably thought, well, that was just her foreign language or something. No, that was... That was a gift of 1 Corinthians to each of you to begin a manifestation of the Spirit for the common building up, right? And some, let me just give you the religious point of view here, would look at that immediately rather than receiving it. Lord, yes, you're speaking. Well, how beautiful, how beautiful that prayer is, right? Um, some would say, well, where's the interpretation? Others would say, you can't do that in a prayer. Right? The religious spirit immediately wants to come and bring a quenching hand because that's that I haven't heard that's that's out of the norm here that is not normal for us um, but it's perfectly in line for Paul says let let there be freedom let the spirit of God manifest and everybody has something just use it to build up the body right and it says if you don't have it there's not interpretation have it within yourself you give the person you pursue the the and Derek did a great job explaining that right and um, and again I think the other thing is in a prayer it's a whole different ballgame. Do you realize in the church, in the majority of the church, the first three centuries, that the church, Derek, come on up, is that, um, is that the Jewish people, they prayed out loud. We're the only people on the face of the earth that pray silently. Right? They were out loud. It was everything out loud. Right? And there's power in there uh, for that. And so when the church came together to worship, there was not this silent prayer. There was out loud crying out to God. And when they did that, they also cried out. And if they had the gift of tongues, they'd cry out and worship in that. So there was this, this, this symphony of shouts out to God. Today, the religious type would say, well, that's out of order, or that needs to be done, or that needs to be done here or there. That's, 
that, that just, why? Manifestation, let the Lord move. And yes, there's a time to test everything and do things, as Paul says, within order that he's given us within scripture, but not to quench. Because joy comes when we know, wow, God's moving among us. He's had someone over here that has a gift of prophecy or encouragement to come and to build up somebody over here. Somebody that has another word to pray for somebody over here. God, we should expect him to move in ways that rock our little order of worship, folks. Right? And until we have that freedom, you know what? God stands back. They don't want me. They don't want me. Right? And you know what? Joy is lost. Joy is lost. You can't control God, right? The final one is just manifest or glorification, which Paul speaks about. This is set, is that God is going to do it. Glorification is the goal. It's the, it, it is God's going to transform this lowly body, transform your lowly body into something so glorious. And that we should have our eyes set on that. He's at work and he's going to complete that work, right? And that is ultimate joy. You know that? God is preparing us for that day that we'll be in an eternal body and then we'll have the capacity for pure joy. What Jesus said in John 15, 11, he will, the joy of God will be fully in you. Can you imagine? And we, we're, we're to pursue taste of that now, right? And so just as we close, as I thought about this, um, this week, I, you know, so many things went through my own head just kind of, you know, it's easy. Sometimes there's a healthy beating yourself up <laughs> and there's an unhealthy beating yourself up. You know what I'm saying? Because we have to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I have to take that conviction and say, all right, Lord, help me. If I take the conviction, I just start beating myself up and I stay there and then the enemy comes. If I don't take it right back to God, help me. Enemy comes in and guess I'm in a bad spiral, right? And that's not applying the gospel. And so uh, I just start thinking, Lord, I, I, I'm looking at Paul and I'm going, Lord, what have I, what have I said is lost for the surpassing the blessing of your salvation in my life. What, what have I lost? What, what do I count as loss for your glorious worth of knowing you? And Lord just took me on a journey, a personal journey. And, and I would just throw this out. He hit me with one line and he just said, you know, it just really boils down to when God looks at my life, this, it's how I use my time and my resources. Is there an indication of how I use my time and my resources of my love for Jesus? It's where the rubber meets the road. Is there an indication of my time, how it's spent, and my resources of the love of God? That says everything, good and where your treasure is, where your heart is, right? Um, and the Lord just had me just sink into that. Not again, I, we can beat ourselves up. That's not the gospel. The issue is, Lord, please revive in me a hunger to know you, to know you and to walk with you, right? Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.